Welcome to the Sports Epreneur Podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide, a CadSource production. In this episode, we discuss becoming a football All-American at West Virginia University, life's realizations, and being present. This podcast exists in large part because of CadCM, the content marketing team inside CadSource Inc. So what does CadCM do? You know how many business leaders need help communicating their story? That's what we do. Content creation and content distribution for business leaders. This provides opportunities, relationships, and a platform for you and your business. Why do we do this? Because at CadCM, we exist to help entrepreneurs create and share amazing content. Learn more by visiting CadCM.com. Our guest is Grant Wiley, Chief of Culture at VPO. He was a 2003 All-American linebacker at West Virginia University. Grant hit hard on the football field, but he quickly found out that life can hit harder. But Grant is proof that no matter how hard life hits, you can keep getting back up. Let's get right into this chat with this amazing leader, Grant Wiley. The last thing I read about you kind of blew me away because I was reading the story from when you were playing and your best friend passed away. And yeah. it looks like you were going to play Wisconsin. Yeah. And it's just, I don't know, man, like, <laughs> it's just wild to me when you can read stories and we could have chatted and you, it probably would have come up somewhere or the other. But there's just depth to people that I don't think people like there's a lot of judging. There's a lot of all this stuff going on. I think there's a lot of good too. And if you get conversations with people, you don't know what someone went through, is going through, is thinking about all that other kind of stuff. There's a lot of, you know, it's kind of cool. Like you see mental health being talked about a lot. You see football mm-hmm. players and hockey players. They're just opening up to say, man, these are like this the biggest, sucks. strongest guys. <laughs> and yeah, and they're like, no, there's way more to it than that. And yeah. Anyway, I see you going through this stuff and we all, everyone, relatively speaking, has something going on. It might have just didn't sleep good last night and they're pissed off about that. But there's there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot more deeper things than that. And so like you're playing, obviously have a great, you know, high school career, go to West Virginia. They see like Big East rookie of the year, man. Like you show up at West Virginia campus, no joke. And you're lighting it up like in the Big East. It's uh, what was that like? So my high school, we never won. It wasn't until my brother's senior year in 94 or five that they had a winning record. The last time was like 1989. And so we were considered the doormat of our conference, Pac-10 and outside of Philly. And uh, shout out. Yeah, man. (laughs) And and I think it's changed names and it's called something else. Who knows? But anyway, so... I'm a, I, it's always been like this underdog journey and then being a f- growing up in the Philly area it's like the Eagles didn't win our first Super Bowl until recently and so it's always been that like fighter blue collar fight mentality earn your keep and so I wasn't heavily recruited because for whatever reason I mean my, my mom was sending out VH VHS t- to teams that I was interested in playing for on the collegiate level. Cause no one from my school had ever gone anywhere in recent years. Like the last guy was in the eighties, went to Pitt, and he was long gone. And I think the school was named something different when he was there. So it's like, we didn't know what we were doing. My brother got recruited a little bit. He ended up going to division two school clarion on Western Pennsylvania, had a successful career, but I was, you know, since I was four, I was like, I'm going to the NFL and people thought I was crazy. And they're like, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I'm going to play in the NFL. 
And at the time I was playing soccer, I found a way to get kicked off my team at age 12 by being with my parents that we couldn't play until seventh grade because it was organized within the school. They didn't want us getting taught the fundamentals because my dad played college football. They didn't want us to get taught the fundamentals by the local little league programs because a lot of these people have very undisciplined approaches and it becomes about winning and not learning the basics and the fundamentals of being an athlete and a football player. And so my dad was really adamant. They were adamant about that until I got kicked off the team. And they're like, where are we going to put this kid's energy? Because I had a lot of rage. I had a lot of energy just as a kid. So I get to play sixth grade, take the opening kickoff, first play ever to the house, score three <laughs> more touchdowns, whatever here. Now I'm right. I'm on my way. Right. So then, uh, Perky Valley, I'm just focused and ended up one of the local coaches played linebacker, West Virginia. He called Bill Kerlavich who ended up recruiting me. And then once Bill, who's dear to my life, just as a man, as a mentor, he started recruiting me. And then all these other schools started to come around because people knew that coach Kerlavich didn't waste his time. And if you asked anyone in college football that knows Kerlav, they'll have an interesting story probably regarding his language and, and yeah. how he communicates, but yeah. he's a, he's an extraordinary dude. So I was fortunate. It was my dream to commit early because I just didn't want to deal with it looming over me while I was trying to play my senior year. Yeah. And uh, so I took a lot of recruiting visits. It came down to Virginia tech and West Virginia and I went to West Virginia's camp and it's like, as soon as we crossed state line, it was very much an intuitive feeling for me. I was like, this is home. I'm in the mountains. This is cool. This feels right. So yeah. I go to West Virginia and I knew part of the reasons why Kerlab and I hit it off immediately. Cause I was six feet, 195 pounds coming out of high school. I ran fat, like I ran a four or five with no running training. So I was, I had the speed. I had 37 inch vert athleticism, but I didn't have all the bells and whistles that a lot of players come out of school with. And so he looked at me, he's like, listen, you're going to redshirt. You're going to get bigger, faster, stronger. You're going to get acclimated to this life and you're going to start as a redshirt freshman. I said, sold. <laughs> he was the only coach that, because that was my, I knew I had to do that. I was just green and I, I needed that year to mature. Although when I showed up on campus for camp, I was lighting it up and I, I'm not blowing smoke. It's just what it is. I was play linebacker and I'm very instinctual. And you grow up in an environment where that's what you do on Saturdays with your dad and your brother, you watch the games. And then I had an older brother to watch his whole career and learn from, and he was a great player in his own right. And then, you know, just being around it, I just absorbed things like a sponge. And I was, so when I showed up on campus, um, they were considering, I started traveling with the team as a true freshman. And then our season kind of went to shambles and we went three and seven. So coach knew after we, I think we lost to Navy, <laughs> Yeah, which you know, Navy, with all due respect, is like West Virginia with, you know, we had two first rounders 
and then seven more draft picks, we shouldn't lose the Navy. Right. But we did. And so coach was like, all right, we're not going to waste your red shirt. You're done traveling because we'll get tempted to put you in. So I was like, yes, I'm going to. So then I packed on 30, 30 pounds at West Virginia with the culture, the party culture. It's not difficult to do (laughs) as well as the training program that we had. I was on a mission. I was like, I'm going to start as a redshirt freshman. There were some guys ahead of me, but I was like, I just got to stick to what I do and just prove it. I ended up doing that. And Michael Vick, he was the Big East rookie of the year before me. I didn't even really know that. Like it wasn't in my radar that this award existed. I didn't really pay attention to that stuff. And I definitely didn't pay attention to the media. So I did end up starting some players ahead of me left and to focus on other things because they weren't going to play. And then it was just like, this is the dream. First college game. I picked the ball off in the third quarter against Boston college I understand. I think it was Hasselbeck or I forget what quarterback it was exactly. So what year would this have been? This would have been. This was 2000. 2000. Yeah. 99 was my true freshman year. 2000 was my first year playing. I intercept the ball midway through the third quarter, take it to the house for a touchdown. I'm like, this is, this is incredible. This is my dream come true. So then I had, you know, I just started to, we ran a great scheme. And I was just stay focused, do what coach tells me. I was able to learn from Barrett Green, who was a second round pick and a phenomenal football player. Some of the other older players took me under their wing because they saw what I could do early. And uh, it was a go from there. And then I got Big East Rookie of the Year. And I was like, oh, Michael Vick got Big East Rookie of the Year. And he left after his sophomore year. I'm out of (laughs) here. And that was... That was my mindset going into my sophomore year. I broke my leg the last game of the season against Mississippi in the Music City Bowl. And then Coach Nealon retired. And so we had a coaching transition. And it's weird because you're this young kid. I just proved myself. They proved themselves. I wasn't mature enough to, to stand my ground. I guess just being, yeah, being truly honest about where I was at the time I was years old. I was like, oh, I got to reprove myself. So let me hurry up as fast as I can to get ready for spring ball, which means nothing. But there's this pressure of a new coaching staff and trying to impress Rod because he didn't care. Um, yeah. That was obvious that he was going to get the people out that he needed to get out to run his program. And I get it now. At the time, I was just like, let me hustle back. So I get back on the field at 80%. Come out sophomore season, in my mind, I'm out of here after my sophomore year. We're playing Willie Green at Boston College, Heisman candidate. Mm -hmm. I have 12 tackles, three TFLs, a pass breakup, and a quarterback knockdown with two minutes left in the first half. (laughs) And I go in on a blitz, and my hamstring rips in half. And that was life. Like that's one of the defining moments of introspection for me, because when you have that much time to yourself to heal, it's like things slow down. And so now I'm going to leave my sophomore year 
to, oh shit, <laughs> like I got to figure out how my leg's going to come back together. Yeah. Because the hamstring tearing is, there's nothing you can really do about it except rest. Right. So I had a really inconsistent sophomore season, which kind of took me off the radar. Although I had three or four weeks off before we played Syracuse. And then I went and had 22 tackles, like three TFLs a sack, blew it up. And there was a bunch of NFL scouts there. So it kind of kept me in their mouths a little bit. And then it was just, it was not a good season for me individually or for the team. Then my junior, I was like, I'm definitely out of here. And that was the Wisconsin, the second game of the season, because we played Chattanooga the first game at home. And then we go to Wisconsin. And it was that Tuesday that I got a phone call from a, a brother of mine from home. He's like, yo, I heard Tim passed away. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just, I was just with him three, three or four weeks ago. And he's like, no, I don't know for sure. So I make a bunch of phone calls at home. End up one of our old teammates who is currently, who at the time was at Villanova. His mom worked at the hospital and she confirmed it. And it was like shell shock. Uh, I'm preparing to play in the biggest game of my career against because Wisconsin had the NFL offensive line. Anthony Davis was a starting tailback, Heisman hopeful. This is my proving ground. If there's any questions that I can play against these type of players for whatever reason, you constantly have to prove yourself, which I get competition. So yeah, that week, fortunately, football gave me the ability to mask things. Hence mm-hmm. the metaphor, you wear a helmet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so not being home, as difficult as it was for me to deal with it on my own, fortunately I had a very wise roommate who was an artist, played football, transferred from South Carolina. He was an artist and just very wise from you know, not the best situation in Atlanta. So he was I had I had someone re- that I could really talk to and help me because I was I went to a really dark place quickly within the situation and he helped me stay focused and I didn't really tell anybody on my team because I was like oh this is nobody else's problem but mine and I'm going to deal with it when I get time and it was like immediately after the game we lose 34-17 we're in the game for most of the time and then we just our offense wasn't able to put together drives and defense wears down so we lose. And I remember I hadn't seen, you know, when you don't see anybody familiar to a situation like that, it's easy to ignore or be distracted from. It's like, as soon as I saw my mother and my sister, and my brother, and two of my good friends from home, my dad is like, I just literally fell on the ground and lost it, just hysterically crying. And I remember getting back onto the bus after I was able to vent and, and be with my family, I got back on the bus and one of my teammates looked at me and he hadn't, like, like I said, there's only about three people on the team that knew what I was dealing with. And my one teammate looked at me, he's like, yo, gee, it's like, it was just a game. And it's like something clicked in me. And then I looked at him, I was like, you're right. This is just a game. And then I was like, oh, I was able to have a real perspective of what I was doing with football 
and kind of step away from the fantasy or the dream and kind of ground myself in what was going on in reality and that this is just a game. And so it was kind of that moment. And it's interesting you bring that up because that was a very pivotal moment in my own life and maturation process and learning. Thank you for sharing that, man. Because yeah, obviously that last moment of what you had with your friend passing away and you know all the things that transpired once you found out, you know, the game and seeing your family go on the bus. But there's like these multiple situations that you went through, you know, like we've talked about earlier, like you always run into something and there's these moments or, you know, they could be small or large or whatever, but you hit these drastic moments where like your coach leaves, you have a relationship, a new coach comes in, new philosophy, new person, like you're having to say, oh my goodness, I better, I got to go back and do it, right? You over exert yourself, let's say. You respond to this sudden change. And that's one thing. And then like you're saying, you're having the game of your life and you your hamstring just falls apart. And you all of a sudden, you, you like you said, you're left by yourself and you're doubting yourself. You're who knows what goes through your mind at that time. Because like you said, like the team has to keep going. It's like yep. next man up, you got to go deal with what you deal with. When you're ready to come back, come back. And I'm sure your teammates are around you and all that. But it's not easy, right? I think at the end of the day, it's kind of like you're saying, yeah, and you're realizing and you're a kid, right? Like you have, yeah, you have no like, idea. People forget. Yeah, yeah. There's all this TV and glamour. It's like, but you're a baby, right? No matter, and and even you know, it's like a lot of my teammates were forced to come up and mature at age 12 because their father wasn't around or whatever the situation was, and so they had a lot more experience, but. At the end of the day, we're all just we're all just babies out there, just like trying to live a dream. Yeah, and I think it gets it gets lost in adults' ability to exploit <laughs> information that us kids are now starting to realize and understand. But it's like, let's take a step back, people. Yeah. Well, now it's wide open, right? Because you're saying right. I've always said, there's no way if we started over today, say, okay, you and I, we're going to build a football, amateur football. <laughs> it would no- look nothing like it looks today, in no. my opinion. I mean, it's just like how and we got shouldn't. here. It shouldn't. It's like, I was just up there. I was just in Ohio State. Honestly, it's bigger than NFL programs. I get it. The NFL can make... It, it's outrageous, but it's a lot of fun. And then you're watching it and you're seeing like these grownups getting mad at these children for making a dropping a ball, making a mistake, <laughs> going the wrong direction, you know, and, and there's part of it that's, that's just sports. Right. And that and to a degree, it's okay. But when it gets to that next level and it's just like, wow, where are we going with all this? But like you said, but you hit these for you personally or for anybody that's going through stuff. And you come to this thing and your teammate says to you, like, it's just a game. Like, man, it's okay. We lost to Wisconsin. Like, we'll, we'll get them next time or we'll get the next game or whatever. But it like had this other thing to like, it finally hit you. It was like, boom, there it is. It is just a game. And I'm treating it like it's the end of the world. But the end of the, the, the big thing is my friend just passed away. The game didn't matter at that point, but you're going through these things like, we have these high expectations of all this stuff. And then there's this realization of what really matters. And there's, I think in this article I was reading, and another article I was reading about what you had going on is, obviously you would never want those things to happen. 
if you have the choice, knowing because you don't know what's going to happen afterwards, right? That yeah. these are the things that helped you grow to help you be on this, like you're on this, you're having this conversation with me today, having this greater understanding. Like you're the better version of yourself as a result of these things that you never would have wanted to happen had you had the choice. Yeah. The more we experience life, it is all these cliches. I don't, it's like I stopped reading other people's quotes because it's like, no, no, we can develop our own if we're paying attention to the moment, right? You can, there's a reason cliches live on, but it is, it's like entering that state of darkness and accepting these places and these experiences for what they are is what enables you to expand and grow as a person and it's not there's no part of humanity that that doesn't experience these things like if whether you're an indigenous tribe in the amazon or living in new york city it's like we're all experiencing the same thing on a human level and like that's what we're here like we're here to just kind of learn how to support one another or ourselves in, in figuring out how to move forward. Right. It's like, it is these, these, these dark moments. So after all this transpires, you get on the bus, you go back, you're having this new realization in this article we're talking about, talks about a, a player that many people might know his name, Pac-Man Jones. Right. And yeah. people can sit there and say different things about different. It's like we talk about like we, if you don't know the person, if you've never sat down and you know didn't break bread with them multiple times and hang out with them and be though be there in those moments, you don't know what someone is all about. You just don't because the media can paint a picture, and that's not it doesn't necessarily mean it's true. You obviously had people in your life. One is you realizing it, but you had people that surrounded you with. You know, perhaps it's Pac Man Jones, perhaps it's some other people. Like who were those people that you surrounded yourself with at that time after that game? And in the years to follow, that got you thinking to to get you on this journey that you're on now. Pack in particular came into my life right as that ha- happened. It's like we were just starting to develop a, a deep relationship as brothers, and I would we were put together as like big brother, little brother. We had this program on the team, and I love Pac-Man to this day. It's like that's my brother, and. I admired his confidence and his security and his abilities because I think I like the truth is as as good as I played and as accomplished as I was as a player, I was very insecure in reading because I was reading into these the idea of what I've lacked as a player when compared on the NFL level. And instead of in a healthy way, respecting opponents and respecting other people in my position, I developed this negative, like hate or disrespect, like, Oh, I'm better than them. Just out of my own lack of confidence and insecurity. And so it was Pat came into my life. My other roommate, Adam Lenore, we were all roommates and, and we all were tight and looked out for each other as brothers. And I think it was, yeah, Pac's security and confidence was like, I think that's because I had that at a certain level, but he was just, he knew, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. As a, 
as a, it's funny. I was just down in West Virginia last weekend with Adam, our other roommate, Adam Lenore, who had a great career. And we were going through clippings and I don't ever, it's like, I'm only looking at these clippings because they were on his, on his desk. And I was like, just, we were kind of reminiscing and laughing at how young we were and kind of what we experienced. And just thinking back, it's like Pat came in my senior year and he was going toe to toe with Kellen Winslow. And Kellen was arguably the best tight end in the country at the time. Yeah. And that his Pac's tenacity and his confidence and his fight was just a big part, a big help in what I was experiencing. And even though that was a year after the incident that we're exploring, it was it was still there and I see it. And that's part of that's kind of where we connected because even my my friend who passed he was one of the first people to show me that early on as confident as i was there was still a lot of insecurity in in things that i was doing yeah and so it's like it was like i picked that up again pack brought in a, on a whole other level and i was like and and then lenore and it's interesting because the three of us had deaths going on in the same apartment at the same time and that was another thing and we all we all bonded around that and became closer at any given time we had seven people living in our apartment so it was rare to have moments alone and it was comforting at times you know even though we do need time and isolation to kind of sort through things at that time you're we're 19 20 21 years old and it was it was really comforting to have an eclectic group of people supporting one another during those that period yeah because the three of us were dealing with with deaths in our family yeah well you talk about the game how it's just a game but the game the sport brought you guys together it created these bonds right it created these relationships that lived on for many years it's, I don't know if it's serendipity that Pac-Man comes in your life, right? You know, he just decides to go to West Virginia. You're at West Virginia. You come across each other. You have a moment and, you know, next thing you know, you're, you're talking and you're still talking about it today. Some years later, right? 18, 15, whatever, 15, 18 years later, that these bonds, that these relationships are built and then you kind of grow up together and you're learning all these different things, which is obviously what you've done. And it started early on, you know, and I think you talked about a little bit at the beginning, basics and fundamentals. You, know, you got to get back to that sometimes. You got to get like, what's going on? Because you can get so far ahead of yourself. I heard about like, you know, skiing. Like, if you get ahead of your skis, you're going to fall down. You're too yep. far out. You can't do that. And there's analogies in all these different sports we can create, but that's an interesting one that you have to, you have to get back. You know, you have to get back to what works and not get lost in that. And you, and you see this and you develop this over time. And you obviously still have a love of the game. You have a love of your experience, but more from what it taught you, it sounds like to me. And that you form these relationships to where here you are today and you're running a business and you're, you're paying attention. You see what's going on. You see how the exploitation is happening with college athletes in the world of sports. And so tell me a little bit about the relationship you have with the people that you run BPO with. We, I mean... Jonathan, so when I first got to West Virginia, our CEO, Jonathan Oliger, was a, a kicker two, two or three years older than me. He was from Wilming, he's from Wilmington, Delaware. So we grew up in 
Philly Eagles region. And so we bonded when you're from the same place, you got similar, similar, some things are similar and, and we connected in that way. And then after I was with the Vikings for 369 days of delicious locker room coffee, <laughs> I would say they do have incredible coffee. And I, I hope they still have that coffee. It was, <laughs> but I knew it was funny because I knew when I got to the, the NFL, I was like, it went from me wanting to play 10 years to me like, all right, it'd be nice if I played in the game because I kept getting injured. And I was like, this is, this is not how I want to continue living life in the training room. So fortunately I got injured the last time my second training camp. And I was like, just the monkey was off my back. I was relieved of this physical and mental pressure that I wasn't afraid of. I was just more aware of what I was actually doing physically. And I was like, this doesn't feel good anymore. And I always told myself that if I'm not okay living in the training room, because especially in my position, you're always injured. Very rarely are you playing at 100%, whether you're in high school, college, or the NFL. It's like you're dealing with some kind of ailment, and you got to figure out how to play with it. And it was at that moment, the second injury, my second training camp, I was like, I don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. I'm going to heal this, and I'm going to heal this. And if I never play again and the trainer's like, Oh no, we're going to help you get back out. Cause I worked my ass off to get back to the second training. Okay. I was like, guys, I'm done. He's like, no, 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 no. Like trying to, I was like, no, 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 I'm okay. It's okay. Yeah. I'm done. Like I already had this conversation with myself and I was talking to my roommate at the time. I was like, I want to be on the wire. He's like, go be on the wire. I was like, all right. You know, that's what it was. So are you familiar with the wire? Yeah. TV show? Yeah. 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 So, to get injured, I go home and now I had an extraordinary experience in the two weeks leading up to me driving home and had a lot of time and introspection, time to myself to figure out what my next step was going to be. And it was just, it was that, it was the present moment. It was like, I'm going to pack my car and eventually I'm going to drive home. Yeah. <laughs> And so my car was packed. I loaded it up. I had my treats ready and I was <laughs> off. Yeah. I drove to Philly and I started on my mission to lose 65 pounds and then moved to New York City with a plan on learning. I knew what my interests were, but it was really, it's like, school wasn't really an interest of mine while I was there. I was interested in certain classes and I did well in those classes, but I was never really into school. So I, I knew I needed an education in different areas, in, in my different interests. And, and how do you best learn? At least in my experience, you throw yourself into it because there's no book that teaches you how to make startup. There's no book that teaches you how to do a lot of the things that I was interested in. So I moved to New York City after losing about 65 pounds. And I knew Jonathan Oliger was in the city, but we didn't have each other's contact. So on five different occasions, we bumped into each other in different parts of Manhattan. And then the fifth time, we bumped into each other at 30th Street Station in Philadelphia. Talk about serendipity, right? I do believe there is a thread of some mystique in the world bringing certain people together. It's 
been undeniable in my life throughout my life and I'm sure other people as well. And so he was in the financial markets, building high frequency trading systems. I was just finished acting school, went to Brazil for a while, was building credits as an actor and producer and just building a foundation in art and entertainment. And then we come along, we start meeting, we and some other people come up with this idea for VPO and we knew to accomplish anything, it was going to take more people like us. And then it was 2014. Cause like you said, athletes, there's just, we're different and we're not better. It's not that it's just when you go through that discipline and that learning process and that growth at a young age, it's now figuring out how do we take this same formula and evolve it into these new areas of our lives. And so I went back to West Virginia University that we were playing Baylor. I think it was the first Big 12 home game. And Najee was on the sideline. Najee Good, current linebacker for the Jaguars. He was on the sideline on the IR with the Eagles. And he's like, dude, how do I set myself up for life after football? And I was like, brother, I was like, there's no formula. He's like, but let's meet when you're back east to figure what are these things that we want to do and how can we best leverage our experience and knowledge to bring more resources together to build out VPO first and foremost. And then he brought in D'Amico Ryans who believed in, in what we're building from day one. And we started from there and it's been that up and down that roller coaster, hitting milestones, hitting obstacles, setbacks, moving forward fastly. So it's like, it's a pretty unpredictable journey, but it's, I mean, it's invaluable. The lessons we've learned and, and to be thus far, we're partnered with the Eagles. They own 20% of our company. We're in the Broncos app, in the Eagles app. We're working on the Jaguars right now. We have a partnership with the NFL alumni, building a virtual betting game that brings capital uh, and revenue share to the NFL alumni to help them in their health and life after football. So there's a philanthropic side to to the commerce Um and partnered with West Virginia University and, and now in the beginnings of, of figuring out how to collaborate with the Rockefeller Neuroscience Institute, which we have a vested interest because at some point, God, God willing, we don't have to deal with it. But when you play a sport that's physical and you hit your head, there's chances are you're going to deal with some brain trauma. And that's another thing is like figuring out how to prepare and take the necessary health precautions once I left in 2005 to be in a regenerative process now physically than what could be, which were every, it's just, this is kind of, you know, new to everyone, the brain trauma, but yeah, that's how we came together and we continue to piece things together and, and, uh, work forward. The roller coaster ride, right? I want to. There's yeah, a few yeah. things you. There's a few things you touched on in there, and I don't want to skip this part over because you mentioned it. 
like you just did it overnight. I like, I like how you're doing this. Yeah, I'm glad. You're, you're really <laughs> this is really interesting. It's like because there's no there's no pretense. You're really you've been open this whole time, and I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, likewise. You said you lost 65 pounds, and in the way you said it, you know, you mentioned it a couple times. So obviously, it was a big deal. But I don't think we can pass over that because yeah, you're an athlete. You've trained. You've done off-season programs. You've done what you had to do to get on the field to make sure, hey, after you, you know, your freshman year or your redshirt freshman, you're going to start. How did you just real quick hit hit us with? How did you lose 65 pounds? I remember I was in my apartment or in our townhouse. I was renting from one of my teammates and renting a room in his townhouse, and I was staring in the mirror just alone. And I was like, "There's a lot of things I needed to get over." to really make the commitment to, to stop playing football. And I realized that it had nothing to do with me. I was okay with it. It really had to do with my perception of how everyone else was going to deal with it. Cause what happens as a young athlete is everybody jumps on the bandwagon and everyone's a lot of people around you start to create their own dreams, like sub dreams based on your dream. And then they start to become attached to your dream because it's going to fulfill a part of their needs in this reality. Right. And so then you're like the figuring out, okay, I'm going to make this announcement to everybody. I'm good. Like I'm at peace with it. I'm done. I put, I put everything I could into this game. Now it's coming to peace with not really knowing how everyone's going to react, but kind of knowing. And then when you do pull the trigger and tell everybody, it's like desert. Yeah. And there's a few people that actually cared. And and I'm not I'm not blaming anyone or, or upset or resentful to anyone. I'm actually grateful that it kind of happens that way because then it's you realize what was and it's easier to move forward knowing what is versus living in a delusion and it's but it is that it's like holy shit wow all these people that told me they had jobs for me this and the other it's like just gone my cool factor faded quickly and that's a lesson in itself but i remember during that process of introspection staring in the mirror i'm looking at myself i'm like i don't like the way that i look i don't like the way that i feel I am having trouble looking at myself in the eyes, in the mirror. It's like, that has to change. It has everything to do with my behavior, my level of intelligence, my emotional intelligence, and all these things that we have control over in a lot of ways. And I was like, I have to face myself. And I'm going to face every single fear that I've had since a kid because I know there's the reward is on the other end. Yeah, of everything fear. you want is on the other side of fear. Right. And so I was like, I was scared to perform as a kid. It's like, so all of these, I was just making a list and I was like, I'm going to lose this weight. Nobody's going to believe me. And then for whatever reason, I thought modeling would be a good idea. So I was like, let me try that. Cause no one's going to believe it. And I don't really care. It was like me proving, <laughs> proving to myself that I could do these, like giving myself a, a carrot, dangling a carrot in front of myself to achieve these things. Because I do believe in human potential and we have the ability to do extraordinary things. And why not start with myself? I already did it. 
became a consensus All-American, put myself in a position to leave early after my junior year, didn't, but put myself in the position to be a top three-round draft pick, and now I'm going to lose 65 pounds and laugh for the rest of my life because I don't feel good physically, mentally, spiritually, any way that I should be feeling, especially accomplishing these things. I was never, I was not celebrating what I was doing. I was critiquing myself on what I hadn't done in situations. I was telling my homeboy the other day, I was like, dude, I was like, I remember the mistakes I made and the exact thought I had right before I missed that tackle more than I do the interception I had against Boston College in their first game. Yeah. It's like, it's like why there's something my wiring needs to change. And so I just went on a mission and I put the blinders on and I, you know, talking to you is nice. I was like, I don't spend a whole lot of time talking about things. I focus more time and energy on doing them. And so that's just, that was part of the process. And I started, I started working with plant medicines, cannabis being one of them. And finally, everyone's waking up to the, the healing capabilities of cannabis and the profound impact it can have on people's lives when it's kept in a sacred way and used properly. And so I was, you know, unconsciously working with it. <laughs> yeah. Now I have a lot more education. But I was, I was unconsciously working for, for, with it for years. And obviously it was taboo. And, but then as I started to realize, it was like cannabis, mushrooms, some other plants that exist. It's like, wow, there's some real value and lessons to be learned and healing to be done with these, with these medicines. And so that was also played a significant role in, in me getting over fears and, and grounding in reality of what I could do with my potential. Well, and then the decisions that you make, how it impacts the next thing. And, and you know, you had to hit that point to say enough's enough. I hit this wall. I got to bust through it in order to do that. One of the first first things I have to do, like you said, is lose 65 pounds. You get to that point, you realize that. And it's interesting because you're talking with um, future coworker, right? What do I do to transition to this next thing? So we're talking about decision-making and realizing that I'm not going to be an athlete for the rest of my life, most likely. My career will end. The career could end for many reasons. It could end because you're just tired of it. You get injured. You're not as good as you used to be. Whatever. All athletes go through it. And football's right. It was one of the shortest career spans that exists because of the violent nature of the game. And so we talk to a lot of athletes about that. And these things happen. And they never realized it was going to happen. We had Chimney Chekwa, who played for the Oakland Raiders, was Ohio State Buckeye. Um, same thing. He was running. He said his special teams player remembers it running down the field and his hamstring gone. And that was like, he was an athlete, you know, he lived, he played his game as fast and that changed when you have the hamstring working like it used to. Right. And so it changes things. And so what do you do with that? How do you get out there? You want to be an entrepreneur. You want to get in business. You want to get your hands in many different things. And so, but you guys are, you know, you, people are recognizing that you have to have that transition and how do you do it? You also brought up like, in the moment, the cool factor is there. So if you're playing at West Virginia today, 
you got the cool factor because think of all the kids and fans and boosters and they all do anything for you. But that's what's interesting is like, it's amazing how quickly that can fade, but take advantage of it in the moment, right? Use the platform. You're almost like they're using you. I would, if I was sitting down with a college athlete today, I would say, use them back. You're not, a, you know, genuinely, but use it because think about social media. You didn't have Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and all thank this stuff. God. <laughs> right. I think there's, yeah, there's two sides to that, right? There's like, yeah, there's man, two you, sides of that. Imagine being at a bar and having all the videos of you. <laughs> but the transition is like you have opportunities today and you're talking to a player that's like, man, what am I going to do? And now you have this opportunity to say you can transition from your career and it might be the thing that you like most about it. It's like you watch someone like a Kobe Bryant who was like, honestly, you watch him like, I think he's excited to leave the game of basketball to go do the next thing he's going to do. And then you watch him like he's killing that now. And that is because he was ready for the transition. Yeah. I, I grew up watching Kobe. So Kobe was funny story. Kobe takes Brandy to prom, right? And Kobe went to Lower Marion, which is about 15 minutes from my high school. And I was in eighth grade and we used to go to the Palestra, which is University of Penn's basketball arena to watch Kobe because he would sell out anywhere he played. Like this is pre-LeBron too. Yeah. So we'd go to the Palestra and I remember, so Kobe's in the league at this point, my senior year of high school. And I was like, wait a second, Kobe took Brandy to prom? I'm going to write a letter to Britney Spears and ask her to go to prom. <laughs> so sure enough, I wrote a letter. She didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't get didn't respond. I think I got, I got like a, a Britney Spears fan package <laughs> a poster yeah. or something response. But I, I was like, yeah, Kobe has had a, has had a major influence on my life early on. Uh, that's funny you bring him up. <laughs> but yeah, you don't. And, and I think too, it's realizing that, some athletes get it early on and figured it out for themselves. And even I always admired my teammates that played guitar or did other things away from football. But I is like, cause I was centrally focused on kind of obsessed on football. Like the only way I know I can do this is if I focus everything on it and I didn't have the information or the consciousness to open more. I was starting to get that in college, but it's like now everything's at your fingertips. So yeah, figure out how to build a platform off your high school following. Your yeah. high your high school is the first community that you're going to impact. And like I said, I'm from a place where we didn't win championships. We didn't win a championship until my senior year. Had we had social media or whatever, it's like that could have been the first 5,000 people following. Yep. And then I go to West Virginia and now I have, I can tap into a hundred thousand people, right? If we're talking about following, I'm not really, I don't need people to follow me in that. Like, that's not my focus, but I understand the power of it and the importance of it on certain levels because you are doing, you are putting your heart and soul and you should be able to figure out how to monetize from the time because Instagram's not not monetizing information they're taking from 12-year-olds that have accounts. You better believe they're selling that data and using that uh, information. So uh, who's to say like amateurism? It's like, is does that even exist anymore? And I do 
figure out, uh, I believe young athletes should figure out a healthy way, not become, because, you know, social media does have its, can take you out of the present moment. And I, I believe, you know, being present and not losing yourself in a delusion of these technology fantasies. Well, they create an addiction. I mean, that's all it is. You know, you look at Snapchat, for example, where these kids today, they get streaks, right? So I send you a picture, you send me a picture back. That's one. We do it the next day, two, three, four. So it's like, now you're like, I see kids, they have 300 days in a row. You're like, it's almost a year. And I was like, do you know why they do it? You're like, no, because it's fun. It's like a game. Yeah. I'm like, no, they just want you coming back. So the more active users they have, the more money they can sell their advertising for. No, I get it. It's a form of communication. So there's good in that. Hey, you're staying in touch with that kid. That's great. I know. But just understand the manipulation that's going on here. So I don't have a problem with social media. It's just that when someone gets so warped inside of it, that they don't realize that they're the target. Once you realize that, you can break away from it. Say, oh, we can still do our streaks, but I'm not going to like be a prisoner of that. Snapchat doesn't own me. And like you said, don't miss what's what right in front of you. It's like you said, and I heard this thing, I love it, is block all signals forwards and backwards. Yeah, tie in your experiences. Think about where you're going a little bit, but like focus on this conversation that you and I are having right now. That's what I'm doing right now. It's what you're doing right now. And, and then the next thing will come and it will happen because you've lived through all these different things. And you'll have more things to go through. Go ahead. On top of what you're saying is, is there's a level of experience that's going to change you. So what you're posting, let's say from age 15 to 19, is going to be totally different probably from 21 to 30. And it's like, that's something to be aware of. Like I said, I'm very grateful that I did not have social media when I was in high school and college because I needed a lot of growing up, a lot of maturation and a lot of things I needed to deal with uh, behind the scenes. And even, you know, going back to pivotal moments of transition, it's like why... You know, when I was at West Virginia, it's like I'm at the height of my career, best friend passes, and now I'm suicidal or having suicidal thoughts. It's like, what is this? Like, what is this trying to tell me? And it's like at the time, at any given moment in time, we only know how to deal with things with the resources that we've been presented or our ability to ask for help or ask questions. And for what I've been fortunate to not harm myself at those times and to be willing to open up in different ways and and have people around me. And that's something that social media can't, that's not, I don't believe that it could, social media can ever replace true support from a human interaction in no reality. It can't. What it can do though is you sharing your story with us. Like it, I get it. Like you're not like on a daily basis thinking through all this stuff, right? Every day, let me go back in history and see what my life's all about. You don't do that, right? <laughs> <laughs> that would mean no. to get lost in it. But you coming yeah. on here sharing this, and someone could listen to the full podcast. We'll pull snippets out of it. We post it, say on Instagram. There might be a two minute clip of you talking about something that you've talked about today, and someone could hear that and say, "Okay, here's a guy." high school, 
college All-American, played at West Virginia, you know, NFL, runs a business. It's real, man. Like, it's just different. It's because you can see someone like you that's going through this, that other people are going through it. A football player, a hockey player, a business person, a family member, a kid, anybody can have these things. So you sharing it on social media does open the door at least to it being okay to have to, to go through these challenges that you've gone through in life and to have these things and then to and how to come through it. And it's not to say like you can't make someone do it. You can't make someone lose 65 pounds, but you can maybe get their thought process thinking different ways. Maybe it's not you, maybe it's you plus a hundred other people and things that they came across. Right. And so that is what social media can do. But like you said, you need that true support. You need that true network. You can't just, it's like a virtual world almost um, that exists out there. So it might be the door opener to that next thing. And you sharing your stories is, we're grateful for it. Right. I think that's why we want to hear true stories. It's like, well, people can post on social media, they can create content, they can do all this stuff. But if you're just regurgitating what someone else already said, now we're just wasting time. And if you're not tra- telling yeah. the true story behind what it is that you feel and think, like we're, you know, when we first started chatting, we have an insurance business behind us. And all the time I run into people and it's just like, you're just regurgitating what the large insurance company says or what the large insurance agency or financial planning firm says. And it's like, how is that helping anybody? It's not helping you because it just sounds corporate and it's stale and it's boring and no one wants to pay attention help us. Like, what do you stand for? What do you believe in? What have you gone through? How can you help these people out? Because I think if you do those types of things, that good can come back. You coming on this podcast and sharing this, I, I only think it's positive. If nothing else that, you know, you and I form a relationship, we communicate more. If one person listens to it and wants to learn more and dive into your story a little bit, that's a positive thing. And I think that's what's going on here. If that then leads to business, and someone making, then that's great. But if that doesn't have to be the ultimatum, because I think if you have enough of those conversations, those things come, those things happen as a result. I mean, we've all lived it, right? You want to get the next deal. You want to get the next deal because it gets money, but there's just more to it than that. Yeah. And so I think you just sharing the story, man, it's a big deal. And you're not the only one. There's other people that are doing this stuff. And I think the more, the merrier, right? We're on the same page, brother. Yeah, preaching the choir. There's nothing, no, and I'm not, I'm not disinterested. Like I'm totally engaged. Uh, It's like I tell, and you'll get this. It's like, especially for athletes, how fast do you run? Four three. Okay, so you run a four three. So what's telling your feet to run that fast? Your brain. So if your brain can tell your feet to run four three, imagine how quickly you can read and retain information if you just focus that speed on different areas of your life. And I think that goes because everything's focused on the physical and sports. Mm-hmm. And it's like, but that's your speed is part of your intelligent makeup. And it's like, I really believe that's what part of what we've done. That's part of what you're doing you're taking your intelligent makeup and understanding of insurance and applying a nuanced way to communicate information that's authentic and that's about humanity right about your own humanity and it says a lot about who you are which is why it's like people want to do business with that but that's not your end goal and it is important to not be focused on an end, but be focused on the present moment 
of how to move forward right now. It's like that's to me, that's why this is fun. I couldn't agree more. <laughs> like you said, we're speaking the same, but from different experiences, different backgrounds, different ways to get to where you got there. There is no one way, there is no one path. You know, it's actually it's funny too, because I'm looking in your Wikipedia page, it's got, you know, I'm just looking at some names, jump out, running back Kevin Jones, Larry Fitzgerald, Mike Williams, Kellen Winslow, who you mentioned before, Robert Gallery, Alex Barron, Will Allen, Sean Taylor, Derek John. It's like the list goes on. Grant Wiley, right? You're on the list. All of 2003 college football All American team. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's a long. Like, it's almost like a lifetime ago. Just <laughs> it's funny to me now because I I, right. it's, I look at those guys like those guys are good. Larry Fitzgerald is a monster. <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame NFLer, and it's like it's, it's being so far removed. But it's like, oh wow, yeah, he's playing against him. And that's the <laughs> thing, though. Like you're not lost in that. Right, like the Friday Night Lights, the 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 movie, the TV show, whatever, and it's like it's all about state. You got to win state, and this is what you get. Mm-hmm. And then they show these people and they reminisce about their life when they won state twenty years ago, ten years ago, <laughs> and you're that's a moment, and you draw on experiences from that time, but that doesn't define you. It's a part of you. It doesn't define you. And here you are now. And so many things have happened, and will continue to happen along the way as you're in that moment. We've talked a little bit about VPO. What is it? What like so? Someone listening to this could understand. What do you guys do? How do you help every? How do you help things out? So VPO is a digital media optimization platform, right? What that means is our technology VPO can integrate into mobile applications such as the Philadelphia Eagles and Denver Broncos. And when we integrate into your mobile application, we give the publisher, being the Eagles or the Broncos, the ability to make their pictures and videos interactive. So through their mobile application, through their pictures and videos, the teams or the publishers of the app are able to communicate directly to the user, whether it be giving them more information or linking a picture or video to a social media account using the reach of the player or the team. If they want to do sponsored ads within the picture of the video directly, instead of having pop-up ads, which everybody has just mastered hitting, and there's no real metric to prove a sale in that way. On the back end, we're also collecting data that shows your first action to final action. So your first view to final action and everything in between. And this enables us at some point will we'll be automated to deliver the user a better message without wasting the user's time and or the publisher's time. So I'm watching, you talk about the Philadelphia Eagles and I'm watching say a highlight, right? Of Carson Wentz. Right. And it's a 10 second clip and it's a, you know, throws a touchdown pass to Deshaun Jackson. And on it, am I clicking possibly a link to say Carson Wentz's Instagram page or to go somewhere else off of site? So I got the highlight, I got whatever I wanted from that. And now I can, I wanna dive deeper. I wanna go into that rabbit hole. Mm -hmm. Is that an example? Yes. So say Deshaun Jackson's crossing the goal line and in the highlight, a box pops up. You can click on it. And 
if the Eagles wanted to, could direct you to buy his jersey right. or could direct you to his social media so you could learn what Deshaun Jackson ate for breakfast right? or what he was doing a week ago or one of his quotes that he posts that he lives by. It's a deeper way. It's really, and it's networking networks. Like we're bringing networks, any URL on the internet into the Eagles ecosystem. Well, what it does too, I think is we're getting tired of watching games on TV and being told how to think, right? So kids today, they don't want to watch the full game. Baseball was on last night. My son's like, I don't want to watch this game. You know, this is going to take too long. And, you know, and I get it, right? Because there's attention spans, there's all sorts of stuff. And there's other things to do, of course. But then you watch these games and there's commercials and there's this. So you're being told what you have to watch. You're being told by the announcers how to think about this player. We're just getting tired of it. So you want to pull it out in snippets. And there's so many, you know, so for example, Thursday Night Football, I know, is now on Amazon. So they're getting deeper with their stats. You can see like how much time the quarterback has in the pocket, the next gen stats, whatever it is. So that's interesting, right? That's, that's, a, that's a direction I see of like, this is where I can dive deeper while watching it. And I don't even need the sound on at that point. I could just dive into this rabbit hole. I want to learn. I want to go down these paths that you're talking about. And your and VPO allows me to do that. VPO with the partnership of the team and the organization or whatever that might be allows me to go down these paths, which is a more interesting, interactive way of watching the game because I believe the old school way of watching is different. No different than like, I, you can go to Snapchat or Instagram and search a location and watch from the fans' point of view who are at the game with their phones recording it and you kind of get a different experience from it. I'm a hockey fan of Buffalo Sabres and I didn't watch the game last night, but I heard they won in overtime. So I wanted to see the goal. So I actually did go to Snapchat. And so I got to see different angles of the game winning goal in overtime in Buffalo. Right. And it was like, that was cool. It was different. Yeah. I didn't see it live, but it was the next best thing. And then imagine it's like, Oh, Eichel makes the pass. And there's a link there to go say, my son wants his Jersey now, let's say. Right. And like you're saying, that's what BPO does. Yeah. I think it's great. <laughs> I mean, thank you. Yeah. And it also, it also, it's not forcing you to interact with it. Well, that's what, like, you're forced to, I can, if I'm watching, right, they have your attention. We always talk about attention. So the game's the, is the draw. So I'm watching the Eagles play the Giants. Well, then they can run any advertising and say, well, I have no control over that. Now, the control I have is I don't have to watch it. I could change the station. I could pull out my phone. I can talk to someone else in the room or whatever. But they have total control for the most part besides that other decision I can make. But here is you're giving me options and I don't have to do it. I don't have to partake in it. Like you're saying, it's for the people that care. We always talk about it. If this is something that someone's listening to and so that's a terrible idea, that's okay. Right. I mean, we always say it. If right. I, when people come in here and they want to know what my opinion is on something, I'm like, well, we have blogs, we have podcasts, we have videos, we have social media. Listen to this. I can direct you. Oh, this one might be, this might be interesting to you. Listen to it. If you think that I sound terrible and you don't like me or what I stand, then you don't want to work here. But if the opposite is, and you talked to Mike originally, Mike found us because of our content online and wanted to come in here and reached out to us to get an internship here because of our content. So it's like, once you have the attention, then the people can make the decision as to, do I want to be a part of it or not? Right. And so there's a lot that goes with it, but it's fascinating because like it's disruption. It's disruption the way we consume content, like what you guys are doing, I'm saying. And it's, it's going in that direction of the way I think even the younger generations want to consume information. And let's not, let's be honest, like this stuff ages up. You know, I was remember on Facebook. I mean, you remember it. It was all college kids. 
Now the yeah, Facebook yeah. ages is this is my mother-in-law, right? It's different ages. <laughs> yeah, and they, and yeah. they're like, I'm like, you're on Facebook all the time. And, and that's okay because that's what their interest is now. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just, it's just change. It's no different than what your stuff's going to change. Fantasy football and all the different, right? It's probably, you could do stuff with that. Like what are his stats? And people want to dive into that. It's a billion dollar industry. Yep. Anyway, I keep going on about it because I think it's a fascinating idea. And it's a fascinating not idea. It's a fascinating execution of the idea. Thank you. Yeah. And we believe we using our sports resources, plus we understand how difficult it is to get behind that wall. And it helps that we played to earn the trust of these teams and, and, and brands. It's also interesting seeing it from this perspective and understanding the fans point of view, because we're all in some way a fan of something. And it's like, we, even if we're a fan, we don't want to be forced to, to take action on certain things. And so this provides you, VPO provides you the ability to make, make a decision. Yeah, uh, it's, it's excellent, man. So how do they learn about VPO? How do people connect with you? You can go to our website. We have a Twitter, VPO, Twitter, VPO, Instagram. You can contact me directly at grant.wiley, W-I-L-E-Y, at V-E-E-P-I-O.com. We love talking about it. We love new partnerships. We're always seeking partnerships, fundraising, and how we can best expand and work with the best people out there. That's another athlete's idiom. It's like we're always open to working with aligned minds. Yeah. Like that's why we're on the call right now. Yeah. That's it, man. <laughs> yeah. Like you said, you want new players. You want the better. You want trade up. You want to get better all around. So I appreciate it. I appreciate your time. I appreciate you being honest and open and sharing your stories. I think it's important, like I said before, talking about your business, what you have going on. Definitely want to stay in touch, keep continue to learn, follow what you guys have going on. But more than anything, man, thank you for your time and sharing of your stories. Yeah, thank you. I look forward to doing this again. One of my favorite things about our sports epreneur content platform is the opportunity to chat with amazing people like Grant Wiley. We hope you enjoyed it. If you want to connect more, hit us up on Instagram at Sports Epreneur. Thank you for listening to the Sports Epreneur podcast, the podcast where sports and entrepreneurship collide. <laughs>